How y'all doing today? Man, it's great to be with you. So glad uh, we get to spend uh, this afternoon with you. And um, before we jump in here and get started, I want to just take a, a real quick second. Um, I know that uh, many of you, you see what's going on in, in Syria and Turkey, the, the earthquake that's happened, the disaster, the devastation. And uh, as a church, we are lucky enough to have a partner called Convoy of Hope. And Convoy of Hope is a phenomenal um, organization that it's already boots on the ground. They're already there. They're already part of things. They're, they're helping pass out food. They're, they're doing medical things. There's just a lot of things going on already. And, and so I know some of you have been asking even about giving towards that. And so we've made it available on our website. Uh, if you go to um, chapelrva.com slash give, uh, you should be able to see a drop down uh, menu there. Uh, but I actually want to just take a second and actually pray for them. You guys okay with that? I know it's... Sometimes you're like, how do we even pray for that? And so um, I'll tell you what, let's, let's just, let's pray. God, we just come to you right now. Father, and uh, even not having the words to, to understand or say, God, we know that there is so much hurt and there's devastation and there is, there's pain, there's loss. And so God, I just pray right now that your hand would be on those people. Your, your hand would be on those people that are... Um, helping facilitate and care for those that, that, are, that are wounded, that those that are still a part of even digging through rubble, working through those things, those people that have to make decisions um, on what to do next. I pray for that wisdom. And God, I just pray that your hand will just be, be in, that, in those moments, that your grace will be on those moments, and that your peace will be on those moments. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen, 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 amen. Man, thank you guys for just being a part of that. You know, um, it's, it's awesome to be able to take, take a moment just even pray for that. But, you know, so today um, we're, you know, it's Valentine's month. You guys know that Valentine's is in two days? If I just told you and you just now know, you're in trouble. Um, but yeah, Valentine's, you know, the, the month of February is like love month. Did you know that 36% of engagements actually happen on Valentine's Day? Yeah. How about that? Anybody here get engaged on Valentine's Day before? We got a hand in the back. Oh, there's a few more going up. See, look at that. 36% It's making it happen. See, I told you. Um, but, you know, Valentine's Day is, um, man, it's also a day where, um, you know, seventh grade boys profess their love to a seventh grade girl with chocolate and a teddy bear and flowers. I was in seventh grade and I bought Jennifer Angel some flowers, but apparently they weren't the right kind because she broke up with me on Valentine's Day. Um, take that, Jennifer. Look at me now. No, I'm just kidding. And so, you know, we do all these different things, but, you know, you're thinking about in the, just the, the things about proposing. It, it's a big moment. It's, it's a big thing where, where people are proposing. They're, they're making those decisions to say, hey, will you marry me? Like, there's all these things that happen. And, you know, um, I, I was in the 90s when I proposed. There wasn't the Internet with all these, like, great ideas. You know, you didn't get to see all these, like, amazing uh, proposals that's, on, that's online or all these extravagant things. And, um, you know, there's some crazy ones now on the internet. There's good ones and there's bad ones. You can get on there and watch like three hours of epic fail proposals. You can watch, they said no for like two hours. Like you can watch all these things, but I thought it'd be fun to show a real quick clip of a few of these. So let's check this out. Just a man at the water. What a way to start. This is strong that you hire a guy to go to the fish tank. I always wondered if she said no, what does that mean for the guy in the tank? You know, just took my lady out on the lake. 
She's so excited. Oh, Sayonara. This is a beekeeping proposal. Won't you be mine? Oh, yeah, there you go. That's good. How about that? This guy's like, I'm going to have the marching band stop by real quick. Look at that. She says yes. How romantic. I mean, come on, guys. This guy's like, it is stuck in my pocket. Oh, yeah, it worked out. This is pretty extravagant. That was planned. Nothing like some nice scenery just out of the ocean. Oh, snap. Oh, that's the worst one, isn't it? So, man, proposals, it's a big deal. It's a big moment. Um, for me, I remember proposing uh, to my wife. Um, this was in 1999. I remember the biggest and the hardest part was going to talk to her father. Um, I remember calling her mom and saying, hey, is Mike there? I need to talk to him. I, you know, they kind of had a feeling what's up because there's already been a little bit of discussion. She's like, yeah, he's here. So I get to the house. I still remember what he was wearing. He was wearing a pair of maroon mesh shorts. That's it. <laughs> On the couch, eating a snack, right? So, like, this is what I remember. Like, this is the big moment. This is where I've worked up all the courage to finally go and, and be able to do this. And there he is, like, on the couch. And, you know, his side of the story is that I was so nervous I couldn't even speak that I fumbled. I feel like I had very extravagant and eloquent language to propose to him, but apparently it wasn't. Um, but he, he said yes. And so, man, when I had the ring, uh, the ring burnt a hole in my pocket. I was so, like, I just got to ask her. I didn't know what to do. And so we ended up going on a picnic. And I was like, all right, this is going to be the time. I was so nervous about the picnic, about proposing. Um, we did a picnic on the Blue Ridge Parkway, right? <laughs> Sounds romantic. It was on like a side of the road. It wasn't really that great, but. <laughs> so like we're, we're having the picnic and I was so um, nervous about proposing that, I, you know, I was supposed to take care of lunch and I bought us a bucket of KFC. <laughs> yeah, that's a Southern boy right there. I am a Southern boy. I know the ring was not in the chicken. I know somebody's think that's where we're going. I did not put the ring in the bottom of the bucket. Oh, look at this wing. No, it's a ring. No, nothing like that. Um, and so we're sitting there hanging out and like, um, I, I didn't even get on one knee cause like we're laying on our sides, like talking, you know, like on the blanket. And I was, had it behind my back, like in my, I was trying to pull it out and get everything. And then, and then I did it and I proposed and she said yes. And it was amazing. And um, still to this day, you know, I'm like a bucket of KFC. I, my daughter has been ashamed of this story for years because um, I had a bucket of KFC. But listen, it, it, that's, that's what we had. That's what, we, what made it happen. So I know that you have those stories. And um, today I actually want to talk about another proposal. And this is actually something that's going to be um, in Ruth 3. You know, oh, actually I forgot. I've got, I've got a picture of 1999, Jason and Brandy. Well, how about that? I should say this. I realized preparing for this, um, I was 19 years old when I proposed. And her parents said yes. I'm like, what were you thinking? Are you serious? You said yes to a 19-year-old, right? So this is us. This is us. Another picture. This is around our engagement. That's just, I don't know, just brought that one because it's a lot of face. And uh, here is us on our honeymoon. There's 20-year-old Jason, right? I, I turned 20 on our, on our honeymoon. So how about that? Pretty cool. So, but we're going to talk about Ruth today in a very interesting proposal in chapter 3. 
Now, um, if you have not gotten to see the first couple of parts of the series, I would encourage you to go back and, and watch those and see ahead of time you got the first couple chapters. But what happens is you get to the end of chapter two, and Ruth has been gleaning in the field. She has been collecting the leftovers. And this field that she happens to be in is a wealthy relative of the family. Now, not just a wealthy relative, but what the Bible calls a worthy man, a worthy man. This man's name's Boaz. He's a man of wealth. He's a man of, of, of war, and he's got wisdom, right? He, he, he worships. He's, he is the real deal, right? He, he's the package. Like, this is the guy, Boaz. And Ruth comes back from just one day, right? The, he, Boaz told his workers, hey, got my eye on her. Give, make sure she, it's easy for her. Give her a little extra. So she comes back to Ruth, and she's got 50 pounds of barley, which is a lot to glean in one day. And what we'll see this here... Naomi notices. Nope, not, it's not Naomi. So where did you gather all this grain today, Naomi asked. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. She's excited about this, right? So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. Um, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close, close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. He's one of our family redeemers. Now, Naomi knew that this is a little extra, that this is a lot that she had brought back. So she knew that there had to be something going on. That's why she see that. We even see that right there. But now know this, when, when the people of Israel moved into the promised land and they took the land, it was divided up tribe by tribe, family by family. And God knew, though, that people would have the chance, the potential, to lose their inheritance. He knew that that's something that would happen, that it's, it's human nature, that at times people lose their inheritance. There could be people in this room that beyond circumstances you could control or things that happen, you lost your inheritance. Some people lose their inheritance from really bad choices and decisions. But God knew that even them, then people could lose those things because of uh, things that are going on. He didn't want those things to happen. But in that day, what God was saying is, I don't want people to live out the remainder of their life as an outcast. I don't want people who um, have experienced loss to go through the rest of their life feeling as if there's no way to recover, that they are now penalized for the rest of their life. But in the, the heart of God and what he wants to do in your life and he wants to do in my life, is that God is a redeemer. God is a redeemer. It's part of his nature. He wants to redeem people from loss. That's why Jesus, he is called our redeemer. He redeems us from the curse. He redeems us from the loss in the garden with Adam and Eve where he lo they lost their dominion. He re um, when the man lost his ability to walk with God, Jesus comes to redeem so that you and I might not experience loss in an ongoing manner. So this kinsman redeemer, which is another version for the family redeemer, some versions call it a kinsman redeemer, is this concept that when someone in the family is close to them, someone uh, is close, it could be like a brother-in-law somewhere in there, but somebody in that family could come, a relative, and redeem the land, redeem that person, redeem a situation. They could get justice. There's different examples. You can see it in uh, Numbers 35. You can see it in Leviticus 25 of how redemption might work. 
There's also this thing called the Leverite marriage, and that's where the brother-in-law comes into play. So a man gets married, they don't have any kids, and he passes away. The brother-in-law would come and then marry her, and then the first child that they had would have the name of the dad, and they would carry that name on. That's why God doesn't want people to experience loss. Right? He wants people to be cared for, and, and a widow in that time, in that day, would have no one to care for her. There's also something very powerful in the heart of God that he wants to do good generationally, generationally. There's something spiritually significant about a legacy. You know, you and I, we, we think in the, in the here and now, right? It's all about now. It's this moment. Some of us, like, we can think a few weeks ahead, sometimes a couple months, maybe a few years, but for the most part, we're very much in the, in the now moment, but God has a perspective that is long, right? It's big, it's wide, it's farther on. It's not just us, it's generations and generations after us. And the importance of that um, spiritual legacy that God wants to pass that from generation to generation, he wants to bless the generations and it shows the importance of a legacy. You and I, the decisions that we make, the words that we speak, the way we live leaves a legacy, good or bad. You know, I've talked about my grandparents a lot of times, and I really feel that I have a spiritual legacy because of my grandparents. Uh, you know, in the, in the 60s, they were part of the Jesus movement, right? There's pictures of them, like, on the beach with fires, with hippies, and they're like, you know, preaching the word and all these things are going on. They took people into their home in the 70s and 80s. They were part of church planning movements. They were always, they were never in full-time ministry, but they were always serving the Lord and everything. They, they lived their life in a way that they made an example that, hey, we want to show you Jesus' love. We want to show you his care. And, and that, that really carried on. Even in my years as a young man running from God, I still saw that in them. There's, they still loved me. I, I believe that. That's why I say I believe I am where I am today because if I had praying grandparents, right? They, they, they prayed me. They prayed for me every day when I was running hard. But I have a legacy because of them. And now that's the way I view it with my kids, right? I don't have grandkids yet, but one day I will. And so I, I want to be able to live a life now that's going to help change the trajectory of our family for generations to come. And the book of Ruth is really giving us this picture of Jesus. All throughout, we see this in the book. It's a great example, a great picture. You're seeing the heart of God here. This is a really big deal, but I want you to know this, that your view of God determines your relationship with God. How you view God will determine your relationship with God. For a, a lot of years, man, if I, if I had something that happened or... I fell away or I sent something that in those moments, I, I felt like I had to be like mega Christian for a certain amount of time. And maybe I'm the only one. Where it's like, all right, if I can do this for seven days in a row, I know when I get done, me and God are going to be good again. That, that's not true at all. We were good from the get-go. You know, no matter your moments, your highs, your lows, God, God's with you when, man, when you're mega Christian, <laughs> when you're doing everything right, he's with you. At your worst, not just your worst, the lowest point that you have ever been, he was still there with you, still caring for you. And you, you need to know that, that how, how you view God, if you're always viewing as you got to get back, you got to do those things instead of realizing that it's there. He's there. He's waiting for you. It's ready for you. God's love is there for you. Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We 
That's everybody, me, you, all of us, right? He didn't die for you when you were just, yep, you're in church today, so you're good. Nope. He cared for you when, what, just when you were like, oh, serving on a team. No, he's good. No, 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 he's good, right? While, while you're doing certain things or whatever it is, he, he was there. He, um, man, think about it. While they were nailing him to the cross, he was loving them. While they were saying things to him, crown of thorns, spit, yell, scream, he was loving him. When you were in your darkest place and you felt like no one cared, he was loving you. He is loving you. Your view of God is so important. He is our redeemer. He is our rescue. The whole story, the whole Bible is a story of redemption. It's a rescue story, right? A rescue mission. That's what the whole thing is. It's proclaiming over and over through stories that he is our redeemer. So in Ruth 3, we're talking about this creative proposal. It's kind of kind of different, kind of weird, but we're gonna we're gonna you know. <laughs> so what happens is Naomi's telling Ruth, "Now listen, I want you to uh, go and propose to this man. I want you to uh, take a bath, uh, put on some perfume, put on your best clothes. Um, I want you to go find Boaz in the dark, uncover his feet, lay next to him, see what happens. That is terrible advice." There's a mother-in-law in here giving that advice to their daughter-in-law. We should talk after this, right? Who's going to tell anybody to do this, right? I've been thinking about this even as a dad. It's dumb. Like, what is she thinking, right? Let's just go out there, get, see what happens. Just try it out. You don't believe me? All right, I'm going to read it for you. This is scripture. One day Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it is time that I found you a permanent home for you. She's like, I'm tired, ready to get you out of the house so that you will be provided for Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath. I told you. See, I told you. Put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor. But don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. There he will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. <laughs> what? What? Look, this is weird, all right? This isn't normal. This isn't like some Jewish custom where it's like, hey, when you're in love, you're going to find the man and cover his feet, lay next to him. It's going to be great, right? This isn't a normal thing. It's, it's not customary at all. It's not common practice. If you are thinking about proposing or getting engaged, don't do this. I guarantee you it's not going to work out for you. But here they are, this, this crazy idea, this crazy thought, just awful advice that she gives Ruth. And Ruth saying that, I'll, I'll just do everything you say. She is as naive as the day is long, right? I don't know what she is even thinking as well, right? You know, Ruth going out at night, there's an issue with that. And one of them is animals could attack her, right? You think about this, there, there is lions and there, there is bears. She's going to be going to the threshing floor, which would be outside of the city. It'd be up on a hill. So that way when they're throwing it up, doing the winnowing, the chaff, the wind would blow it all away. So it's going to be a little bit out of town, right? There's going to be men working there, sleeping there. It's going to be on the threshing floor, right? She's going to go up there. She doesn't even know if Boaz is even going to be there. And if not, what happens then? It's also a huge risk to her reputation, right? If word gets out in the town, and this is a little town. Remember, we just sang about it in Christmas. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, right? So that's why it's little. It is a little small town, and you think about that. 
Can you believe what Ruth did? I saw Ruth out at night. Do you know Ruth was on the street? Right? Rumors start. People start saying stuff. Start questioning things. Start, start saying things. So it could go from bad to worse in a hurry. Not only that, it could damage Boaz's reputation. Here is a man that is known as worthy. A worthy man, right? He, he is like the top dog, the man of men in Bethlehem. Right? This is a man that is now honored, and all of a sudden there's a, a woman that is chasing him. She's showing up. She's uncovering his feet and laying down next to me. Next to me, not me. Laying down next to her, him. Right? And he, so here's, here's, here's Boaz. And, man, he could charge her with indecency. He could charge her um, with all sorts of things, immodesty in those moments, because it's just not a normal thing. It is absolutely crazy. And I know now we can see the whole story. We're like, well, you got the whole book of Ruth. We know it works out. But at the time... You don't know what's going to happen. Naomi was trying to make things happen. Naomi was like, all right, we don't need God. Let's get this thing going. It's time to find you a man. But thankfully, it worked out. One, because, yes, God was in it. But two, because Boaz is a worthy man. We said that in chapter two. He's a worthy man, a man of valor, a warrior, a man of wealth and wisdom. He, he, he's rich. And he, he understands worship. He, he is a godly man. He's a good man. And if it were not for him, if it was not for him as this great example or even being a redeemer, there's no telling what would happen. And he is a great example for a redeemer for us as Jesus. He's a great Christ-like example. Right? That if it were not for his kindness, if it were not for his wisdom and his honor in redeeming the situation, the whole thing could have gone up in flames. Verse 6 says, so she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz finished drinking, it was in good spirits. He lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Around midnight, suddenly Boaz woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman laying at his feet. Well, who are you? He asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. Here's what you have to understand. In this moment, this is the proposal. This is the will you marry me moment right here. It's a crazy proposal. I'll tell you what, I feel good about my bucket of KFC when I read this story. I crushed it with KFC. A little mashed potatoes, some green beans, a biscuit, greasy fingers with the ring. I mean, it was great, right? I feel good about that after I read these kind of moments. And again, it's, it's not customary. There's isn't, there's isn't normal. So now, like, oh, so what is he going to do? What is Boaz going to do? She shows up. She's asking for marriage. I mean, that, that's just not done. It's not customary at all. So if you're shaking your head and you're wondering, like, man, what is going on? They were too. He was too. So what I want to do in this um, little scripture with a few minutes we got left is I want to actually give you three characteristics of a worthy person. I think Boaz really shows that here in these scriptures through 18. It can really teach us that. And so no matter where you're at with your relationships, with whether you're uh, single, maybe you're dating, maybe you're married, there, there's practical application that we can all take away on being a worthy person, living as a worthy person. The first one's this. A worthy person understands the importance of patience. They understand the importance of patience. 
So we just read that verse with Boaz, and this is, this is the next thing that happens with Boaz. He says this, the Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz explained, exclaimed. I mean, the first thing he does, and this is, this is super wise, right? You're going to watch his wisdom all throughout this passage. And honestly, your ability to walk in wisdom is only going to be as good as your ability to surround yourself with wise advisors. Who you surround yourself with matters. If you surround yourself with Naomi's, you are going to be in trouble. Right? Who you surround yourself matters. So here's Boaz. This man is wise. I mean, think, think about this. You're single. It's the middle of the night. You wake up. You're disturbed. Your feet are uncovered with a woman at the foot of your bed. What do you do? Now, I know some of you are like feeling a little cringy, feeling like, oh, man, what's going on? Number one, this is in the Bible. I'm just reading scripture. Two, the world is teaching our, our young people, teaching us what all this stuff should be. I think we, it's great for us to learn from the Bible what, what's the right way to go about these things. Right, so, so that's why culture is telling us one thing, but we're going to stand on what the Word of God says. We're, we're, we're going we're to go with that. So even in this, we can learn from this. So listen, he says, I want the Lord to bless you. This is what he's doing. He's saying, he's putting the brakes on. Right? He's putting the kibosh on this thing. Because that's the first thing he said. He wakes up, Caesar, he's like, all right, well, I want the Lord to bless you. He made, he made a choice. He was very wise. He knew that he wanted her to have the blessing of God, that he wanted to have the blessing of God. Listen, ladies, if some guy has your best interest at heart, then he wants God to bless you in your life. He wants God to bless you because there is nothing more, more valuable. There is nothing more worthwhile than the blessing of God, than the hand of God on your life. So if some guy says he values you and he honors you, but he wants to have a sleepover, he doesn't. Some guy says, hey, marriage is a big commitment, but I'd love to play house. He doesn't honor you. He's not valuing you. Men, if that's you, listen, you got to get it together. Be a man that's worthy. Be a man of honor. You need to look at her and say, I want the Lord to bless you, and I want the Lord to bless me. It's a big deal. A man of honor would say, I want God to bless you. That's what Boaz does. He puts God immediately into the equation. Listen, if, if, you're, if you're dating, maybe you are even engaged, if you keep God at the center of your relationship, listen, if you're married and you're not doing this, you need to keep God at the center of your relationship, the center of your, your marriage. It will not only change the dynamic of the relationship, it's going to keep you from doing a lot of things that are going to diminish your relationship long term and actually could cause a lot of heartache. So what Boaz says. You are showing even more family loyalty now that you did before, for you have not gone after a young man, whether rich or poor. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary. For everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I'm one of your family redeemers, there's another man who is more closely related to you than I am. So what he's doing, he's setting boundaries, he's setting the parameters in the relationship, he's not advancing the relationship. And you say, well, why not? It's because he is patient. He could be saying, man, you ended up in my field, and now you're at my grain pile? Wow! This is awesome! Come on, somebody! No! He doesn't even go there, right? He's saying, I want God to bless you. I want God to bless me. I want God to be in this situation. He's being kind by saying that I understand why you are here. Is he interested? Absolutely, he's interested. 
But he's not so interested in getting Ruth as his wife that he's willing to set aside God's will for his life. You know, not having patience has gotten a lot of us in trouble. Maybe just me, but I say it's all of us in this room. Not having patience. Thinking about patience, waiting on God's timing, even my family uh, coming to, to Richmond. Um, you know, there was a, quite a few times where um, Pastor Joel, Pastor Brandon had reached out asking us to come. And, and we would say no, and th- but then there was like, I really want to be there. But I just kept saying no, I wasn't sure. I didn't really understand the whole struggle of it. And there was actually one time where I was supposed to come and meet everybody. Um, I rented a car because I was coming up from North Carolina. I was driving down the road, and then it was just like, ugh. felt like the Holy Spirit stopped me. I'm crying in the car. I know I cry a lot, but this was different. I cried in the car, and I was just like, I got to turn around. I turned back around, took the rental back. I remember walking my house, and my wife's like, what are you doing? I was like, I can't go. I don't know what it is. I called Pastor Brandon. I'm like, hey, it's... So I'm not coming tonight. And it's like, oh, well, we're having dinner. I'm like, well, okay, great. And I was like, hey, it's not, it's not a no, it's just a not now. I, I didn't understand. I, I was really wanted to be there, and, but it took patience. And what I realized, one, it was to allow each one of my kids and my wife to all kind of like process that and make that decision too. That way when we got here, it was like we're all in. This is us. It's a family thing. It wasn't dad saying, all right, kids, pack up. We're moving to Richmond. It was my son, it was my daughter, teenagers being like, God's called us to Richmond. And now I I look at these past years, it's the most fun that our family's had probably ever. We've loved what we got to be a part of. We love what's happening in this church, what God's doing here. We're so excited for what's to come. But if we would have skipped ahead or tried to move it on our own, there's no telling what would happen. That's why I'm telling you, patience is important. Here's one thing to think about when it talks to patience. When we're patient, it's about others. When we're impatient, it's about us. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. But we are in, when we are patient, it's about others. When we're impatient, it's about us. We are really good at being impatient because we are all selfish. <laughs> A few of us. Great. But we are, we are impatient, right? We're selfish. We're, we're, in these moments is when our little kid comes out where it's like, me, 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 my, 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 my. There's a quote that says, patience is not the ability to wait, but the ability to keep a good attitude while waiting. I mean, who wants to wait? <laughs> no one. Look, Boaz didn't want to wait either. But as a worthy person, as a, as a patient man, he understands that there's a process. There's things that are set in place that need to happen first. We get so impatient with people, but if we realize, just like this said, many times we don't know what's going on in those people's life that we're being impatient with. How many times are you in line? There's like somebody three or four people up, and you're like, they're taking forever. What are they doing, Right? People behind you just getting mad. Like, everybody's getting all worked up. I don't know why, but people do, right? We all do it. But how do we not know that maybe, maybe that person's lonely? Maybe this is the only social interaction this person gets all day. We, we don't know those things. But when we begin to look at things differently, when we begin to look at others differently, we will become more patient. You, you suddenly, you see things different. You see people different. You see that person in the line differently. When we become patient. Psalms 37, 7 says this. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. This is not what Naomi did. She did not wait patiently. She was trying to make things happen. But we're, we're a lot like that. We want, we want things to move. We want it to happen. God's desire is to do good to you. God's desire that nobody lives as an outcast. God's desire is to see you live the kind of life that allows him to not only bless you, but bless those 
after you, living a legacy. Isaiah 30 says this, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you, therefore he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. The heart of God is to do good. The heart of God is to bless you. Here's the second one. A worthy person understands the value of integrity. The value of integrity. This is all, what's on the outside is on the inside. What's on the inside is on the outside. This is what he says here. He says, stay here tonight. In the morning, I will talk to him. If he's willing to redeem you, very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Boaz is saying that God's will is what is most important. Does he want to marry Ruth? Yes, but not if it's God's will. He wants God's will more than he wants his own way. That's something that we could take away that we need to want God's will more than we want our own way. He's saying, I will accept what the Lord gives. I will accept what he withholds because I put my trust in him. I know he wants to do the best for me. So then he tells her to go stay here till morning. He knows if she goes out at night, potentially won't go well. You know, I talked about the lions and the bears. Think about this. This is Ruth. If you don't know, Ruth is the great grandmother of David. David was a shepherd boy in Bethlehem. And there's some stories about David killing a lion and a bear while he was watching out for the sheep. So this, this is, I wasn't just doing like a lion and tires, bears, oh my, right? I wasn't doing that. It's really, it's a real thing. Real thing happened. But this is what he says. Now lie here until morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning. But she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. A man of honor wanting to honor her reputation, right? She's put him in a bad place. This could go really bad. He knows it's not a good situation, but he's saying we need to get out of this gracefully and carefully because I care for you. I, I honor you. Ladies, ladies, Boaz is like a template for the man you want to marry. Men, Boaz is a good template for us to want to live our lives like, like, like. Last one. A worthy person understands the importance of honoring the family. Honoring the family. Let's just be real. All of us have crazy family members. If you don't know who those are right now, it must be you. You are the crazy family members. You know, getting to meet with people and do premarital counseling, and you know, you, you hear things like, um, <laughs> you, hear, you hear things like, well, hey, um, I'm not marrying their family, I'm marrying her, or I'm marrying him. Those of you laughing know where I'm going with this. Or they'd be like, man, man, I love them, but their family, you know, I don't know, but that, it's not, you know, I'm marrying them, so it, it's okay, right? It's, it's going to be fine. Let me, let me just say this, that you are marrying the entire family. You are marrying the, you are going to be, your family is now the crazy uncle. I went to this engagement party last night, and it was so hilarious because I was thinking about this. I was at an engagement party, and there's this one uncle that everybody, when he started talking to me, and people behind her being like, don't worry about him. Don't worry about him. <laughs> it, it happened with one person, but then, like, I went away, I went and did something, and then a few minutes later, he's talking to me, and I see another family, and I'm like, yo, I'm sorry for whatever he says. <laughs> it was hilarious. I was like, man, this is what I'm talking about tomorrow. This is guy's living this out for me. So I also understand that a family dynamic, there, there's a lot that goes on with that. There could be hurt. There could be things that have happened that there's not a close, there's, there's all these, I, I just get it. I understand that you got to set boundaries with people, that there's things that have happened in life. Personally for myself, 
I've had some family members that I, I had to actually learn how do I honor them when I don't really want to be around them? That's hard. But we have, we have to do that. When we begin to honor family, even the ones that you're just like, oh, man, it's going to be so much more helpful. Right? It's, it's going to change everything. But here's the deal. They couldn't be any worse than Naomi. I mean, Naomi was the, the mother-in-law from Bethlehem. And so here you got a Naomi trying to put decisions, making things happen. Like Naomi's the one that's like the prodding one. Like she's, she's got a great plan for everybody's life. She knows what's best for every single person. And she's got it all figured out and all planned out if you just do this, this, and this. But if it doesn't work out, then it's God's fault and yours. It has nothing to do with her. Right? So, so Naomi. But here we have Boaz who honors Naomi. Who says, you know what? Man, I, I understand the family dynamics. I, I get this. I, I want to I marry you. I want to be with you. But this is what he goes on to say. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to town. This is about 90 pounds. This is him loading them up, saying, come here, girl. Put it on her back. Head to town. That's his way of saying, listen, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. It's also his way of saying, listen, I'm in this. If it works out, th this is me saying, yeah, I'm all in. Go back. We'll see what happens. We understand that there could be another redeemer as well. That's why, again, Boaz is just a great representation as a redeemer. There's a thought for you that he is gracious in giving us what we need instead of what we want. God is gracious in giving us what we need instead of what we want. So many times we have these wants, we're praying for these things, all to realize that we didn't really want them at all. I mean, we're praying for stuff like, God, I want this, I want this. And then it starts happening, you're like, no, 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 I don't want this. But he is gracious in giving us what we need. We can see by the end of this that there's a shift in Naomi, that there's a change that you can tell by her language. Because remember at the beginning, she was pushing out, come on, let's go, let's make this happen. This is what we see here. Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. Talk about a change. Remember, she's like, we got to get this thing rolling, make it happen. Now she's like, just be patient. You're like, wait a second. Like just a few verses ago, you're like kicking me out, trying to get me to do weird stuff. Just be patient. Slow down. Remember, Boaz is just an example of Christ, and he's not going to rest until things are settled. You go to him, and he's going to be generous to you. You can trust him. right? You, you can know that you don't have to worry because he'll do everything that needs to be done. So I hope you can see this picture. I hope you can just even capture this, this moment. I, I want you to, to, to know this, that this is a beautiful story of God's care, and it's not just for two widows. It's for every single person in this room. You might have thought, man, unless you take matters into your own hands, I got to do this on my own. Listen, I just want to encourage you to stop. There's a redeemer. He is more generous, more active, and more gracious than you could possibly imagine. I think when we begin to live as worthy people, things are going to change. Our, our family is going to change. And that's what I want to go from here. I want to live as a worthy person. Can I pray for us? God, we just thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for for your love. We thank you that, God, we can live a life that is worthy, that we can live a life that is different because of who you are. So, God, even in this moment, people that might not feel worthy, might not feel like 
they have it there. God, I pray that from this day forward, we start. No matter what it is, we make that step that today's the day we, we take that first step to that change. You're a good and loving God. Let, let us walk away here knowing that you are a redeemer, that you are a rescuer. And we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Would you guys stand up with me? I'd love to just sing this half of a song before we head out. <laughs>